Welcome to the Kingdom Community. Many in the body of Christ long for authentic community and a spiritual family to belong to. We exist to connect, equip, and send you into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the Kingdom of God on the earth. To learn more about us, please visit kingdomcommunity.global. We look forward to hearing from you. So welcome everyone to session one of the Soteria School. My name is Glenn Blakeney. Tonight we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God and salvation. How, do, how does the kingdom of God um, and salvation work together? The, how do they interface and interact? You know, I've heard people say throughout the years that uh, there is the gospel of salvation and then there's the gospel of the kingdom. And I think I understand what they mean by that, that the gospel of salvation is really more about just, you know, understanding and experiencing forgiveness, um, having having an eternal destiny to go to not going to hell but going to be with the lord forever and and uh, that's what they mean but that's really not what the scripture teaches the scripture does not make a distinction between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of salvation in fact we know that by studying the new testament there's only one time where the gospel of salvation is referenced and that's in ephesians 1 13. but you know we can also look at other topics that we might say well those are significant topics but they're not mentioned uh, many times as well so the point i'm trying to make is that the kingdom of god actually brings salvation it offers salvation to us so we're going to start off in this session by looking at luke chapter one and um, this is a powerful passage of scripture uh, you can read the entire passage but we're going to pick it up at verse number 71 of luke chapter one here we see the father of john the baptist zachariah the priest the holy spirit has come upon him he begins to prophesy and he begins to talk about the coming of messiah and what he would do and this is what he says uh, the messiah will do of course we're referring to jesus jesus christ or yeshua hamashiach that when he comes he would bring to god's people a powerful work of delivering them and saving them from their hands of their enemies so let's start there at verse uh, 71 that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us he says this to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies this is verse 74 that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives think about that look at this carefully that when he comes he will save us from the hand of our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us and that he would grant us that we would be delivered from our enemies so that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life the guys this is clear no matter what people have said no matter what your personal experience has been the lord desires you to be free he desires you to be free from your enemies i'm not talking about flesh and blood enemies uh primarily here certainly god can protect us from people as well from evil people but what i'm referring to here is the enemies of really that which has come into the world as a result of the curse 
um, the the devil, sickness, sin, torment, all of these things that have come into the world. He wants us to be free. He wants us to be delivered from the hand of our enemies so that we might serve God without fear. Wow. Did you see that? That you could serve God without fear, guys. It's possible to live in a fear-free zone. No matter what people have said, no matter what people teach, no matter, again, what your experience is, it is possible to live in a fear-free zone. The gospel is all about delivering you from the hand of the enemy so that you can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of your life. That's what the gospel is all about. In fact, the word salvation in the New Testament, soteria or soteria, one of the ways it can be interpreted is to be free from the harassment of an enemy, to be free from the harassment of an enemy. We know that in Acts 10.38, it says that when Jesus was on the earth, he went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil because he was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power and God was with him. Elsewhere in 1 John 3, verse 8, it says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus went around setting people free, healing them, delivering them, and making them whole. He healed people physically. He cast out demons. He delivered people. You know, he did a profound work in people's lives. Think about the demoniac. Think about Mary Magdalene and who she was. The Bible says that she has had seven demons her, and Jesus totally set her free and restored her life, and she was made whole completely. All right. Romans 1, verse 16, Paul says this. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. He talks about the Jew first and then the Gentile. Now notice this. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It's power that has a purpose. It's power unto salvation. The word salvation, as I said, literally speaks of deliverance, of freedom, uh, and being even delivered from the hand of our enemies. The gospel not only offers us pardon from our past, hallelujah, every sin that we've ever committed, every evil thing that we've ever done, we can be completely absolved of that, forgiven of that because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And secondly, the gospel offers us a promise of paradise. You know, it says in Revelation 2-7, it talks about the paradise of God, that one day we will live in an eternal state of, of bliss, of, of, of harmony with God and restoration of the things that were lost by Adam and Eve. We're going to live in that place. But ultimately, the gospel provides right now, presently, here, now, power unto salvation. The gospel is powerful. Paul said, for the kingdom of God is not in word, logos, but it's in power, dunamis, in 1 Corinthians 4.20. So there is power in the gospel. It is the good news of the kingdom of God. And the gospel is not just a message to be shared in declaration, but it is a kingdom. 
Listen, it is important that we get this right from the beginning, that it is a kingdom to be established in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. Now let's look at Luke chapter 8, verse 1. This is the New King James Version. Luke chapter 8, verse 1 says, Now it came to pass afterward that Jesus went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings, which speaks of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus was preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom. The King James says preaching and shooing. Shooing means showing. It literally means demonstrating or manifesting. So it's a powerful thing. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5, my preaching, my speech was not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There's a lot we could say about that, but ultimately, if the gospel that we're preaching, the gospel that we're preaching has no power, then guys, it is not the gospel of the kingdom because the kingdom of God is not in word, but it's in power. Let's look closely at Romans chapter 15, verse 19. It says here that Paul was, you know, he was winding up his ministry in terms of he wanted to go to Spain, he wanted to, to preach in New Horizons, and he says this, he said, the gospel must be accompanied by the power of the Spirit in signs and wonders and miracles in order to be fully preached. So he says, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, it says here in this translation, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Some other translations actually mention that I have fully presented the gospel of Christ. But here's the idea. In the New Testament language, that term, those two words, fully proclaimed, are not there. And the idea is this. He's saying, because the gospel that I preached to you was not only word but in power also he said i have fulfilled the true gospel so we could say in other words that paul was saying that if the gospel is not in power if there's no demonstration of the power of god it is not the real or the complete gospel it's not the gospel that is fulfilled it's not a full gospel, so to speak. And it's very important that we understand this. There are a lot of people today that love the Lord. They're in ministry. And yet they're not in a place where they're seeing people healed, people delivered, and people set free. And let me just say something to you. I am hearing, and I know you are as well, these tragic reports of people dying all over the world from various causes. Man, I mean, the things that I'm hearing, I saw something yesterday about uh, a young lady who's a worship leader dying of cancer. I, she was like 26 years old. I saw someone else who was quite young, who was also a worship leader, uh, die on Facebook, uh, die this week. This is all something on Facebook on and on and on so many people and when you look at what's going on in the earth one of the things that really troubles me is the lack of healing and i really believe guys that 
when we look at the scriptures that we see that Jesus moved in powerful healing, and I'm not trying to point a finger on anyone specific, and I'm not accusing anyone of anything, but what I'm saying is there's more. God wants to do more. Too many people are tormented. Too many people are still not walking in freedom. Too many people are struggling with sickness and disease, but yet when Jesus was on the earth, he healed them, and he did this powerfully. So for me, 2022 is the year of declaration to make war, to wage war against the devil, to destroy his works, and to see the captives set free. And what I've, I've been feeling and just sensing, and certainly it's not just going to be for 2022, it's, it's going to be for the duration of my life by the grace of God. But I'm saying this, that ultimately we have to come to the place where we're responding to what the spirit is saying and i hear the holy spirit saying to me that it's time to consecrate yourself to go to a deeper place to really walk in the anointing and in the power of the holy spirit to set people free to see deliverance to see miracles to see healing to see the crippled walk, to see cancer healed, to see drug addicts set free, whatever it takes. And this is a season and this is a time now more than ever, God is doing something and he's stirring a generation and he's doing something powerful and he's bringing purification to our lives so that we can carry his kingdom into these places and drive out the power of the wicked one. So this is what it's all about, the gospel of the kingdom is not just in word but in power i want you to also look at this we're actually just focusing here on um, section two which speaks about the character of the king the character of christ now we know that in acts 2 jesus is referred to as lord and christ which basically means he's the king and he's the messiah the anointed king but when jesus was on the earth Every miracle that he performed was motivated by his great mercy. You know, there's at least 14 times in the gospel where we read reference to Jesus having compassion or Jesus being moved with compassion. And in each incident, there is a subsequent miracle that was performed by Jesus. I want you to watch this. The benevolent character of king jesus remember he has a kingdom the benevolent character of king jesus is displayed in his commitment to establish okay to establish his righteous kingdom rule on the earth he is a good king he loves his people if we want our faith to increase and to grow to that place where we, we believe that we're going to see miracles, um, when we pray for people and we stand as God's ambassador, so to speak, you know, we have to remember it says in Galatians that faith works by love. We have to recognize that God is good. He's, he's Jesus was moved with compassion. He loves people. He wants to see them healed. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recover his sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When it speaks about the year of the Lord's favor, it's going back to Isaiah chapter 61. And it's actually talking about the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, debts were forgiven, slaves were emancipated, 
and property and land was restored. So it speaks of freedom, emancipation. It speaks of uh, forgiveness remission and also restoration so the lord wants to bring freedom deliverance he wants to bring forgiveness and he wants to bring restoration to our lives that's what jesus was all about setting people free delivering them from the works of the enemy and delivering them unto the kingdom of god his blessing because We'll talk about this in a moment. Every king has a domain. He has a kingdom. And in that kingdom, a good king takes care of his his kingdom subjects and his citizens. We'll, we'll look in this in just a moment. But I want to turn your attention to Mark chapter 3 for a moment. Here, Jesus enters into a synagogue. And there's a man there who has a withered hand. And of course, the religious leaders, the religious folk at that time, they're watching him closely to see whether or not he's going to heal them on the Sabbath. So this is so ironic. They're not denying that Jesus can heal, but they're just concerned about, is he going to do this on the Sabbath? That's working. Oh, come on now. That's the religious spirit at there. So what happens is Jesus looks at the man who has the withered hand, he tells him to step forward. And then he speaks to everyone there, particularly the leaders, and he says, let me ask you a question. Is it lawful to do good, okay, on the Sabbath, or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Look at that. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? I mean, how are you going to answer that question? They kept silent. And so when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Now, I want you to see, in spite of the religious people who are like, well, God's punishing you. God is, you know, he's, he's angry at you. He's trying to teach you something or whatever. Jesus is angry because of the hardness of their hearts. And he causes the man to, to, he calls the man to stretch out his hand. And as he does, his hand was restored as whole as the other. Now, that's a picture of the restoration of the soteria that God brings into our lives. He makes us whole. Now, I want to say something about this. There's a lot of people today. Guys, do we believe the word of God above psychology, above what the world tells us? Come on now. You know, the world says you're going to have trauma. You're going to have PTSD all your life. And and I understand it's real. I've experienced some pretty traumatic stuff in my life. But I want to tell you something. When Jesus heals you, you're as whole as you were before. You're as whole as you were before. You don't have to be addicted all your life. You don't have to be constantly struggling. Look, if you joined us late, you missed a powerful verse. In Luke chapter 1, we looked at verse, verses 74 and 75, which clearly talk about how he came to deliver us so that we could be free from the hand of the enemy, from the enemy that torments us, so that we could serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. That we can serve him without fear, guys, in holiness and righteousness all 
the days of our life. God wants us to serve him, wow, without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. What a powerful revelation. So here's what the gospel teaches. I can make you free, but let's go back to Mark for a moment. I want you to see this. Maybe you've never noticed this before. So Jesus, in verse 4, asks the question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? So not much choice. I mean, well, Lord, yeah, I mean, I guess we, we've got to heal. So think about this. Jesus was saying, basically implying that if he refused to heal this man on the Sabbath, it would be an evil act tantamount to murder. If Jesus refused to heal this man on the Sabbath, it would have been an evil act equivalent to murder. Why? Because Jesus knew he had the power, the authority, he could heal this man. And if he refused to do it, it's basically, it's an act, an intentional act, and it's an egregious thing where you actually um, refuse to help someone. And in many instances, guys, the power that the Lord wants to give to us, I'm gonna say some things tonight that, that might be a little bit offensive but I want you to understand my heart. God wants people to live. He doesn't want to see uh, all these people dying. I don't believe that. He doesn't want to see all the, what sin is doing in, in wiping out people. God wants to see healing and miracles, but he's looking for people that can carry the kingdom the way Jesus did on the earth, going back to Luke chapter eight, verse one. You see, we are in a place right now where we have to come back to the message of the gospel of the kingdom, which is the kingdom of God brings to the people uh, the, the, the benefits of the kingdom. Listen, there's three things that the kingdom um, brings to, to people. Okay, first of all, provision. Secondly, protection. And then ultimately, there is a promise of God just taking care of his people. So peace, in other words. God wants to bring us to a place where we experience really the, these four things. Because, But peace is kind of like, as we'll see when we look at peace here in a moment, it's the gospel of peace. Peace actually is all about entering rest. And when we enter rest, when you look at when Israel entered rest and they came into the promised land, do you know what they experienced when they entered rest? freedom from the harassment of their enemies. He said, I'll settle you. I'll bring you a place where your enemies will no longer torment you. They'll no longer harass you. The word soteria or soteria, salvation in the New Testament is about freedom from the harassment of an enemy. It's about prosperity or provision. I'm going to take care of all your needs. I'm going to make sure that you have everything you need. And it's also about power. God wants to give us supernatural power. He has done that, of course, through the death of Jesus. All of these things are available to us as kingdom um, subjects, as kingdom citizens. But we have to learn how to walk in these things. And we're going to talk about this. But I want you to look at me about the gospel of peace and the God of peace. What does that mean? Peace is actually a covenant term. And when we 
are in right covenant with God, we experience peace. Okay, now let's let's look at this. First Thessalonians 5.23. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely or wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y. It means entirely. And then he, he unpacks it here. May your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will also do it. Now God, who is the God of peace, he wants to bring us to that place where our entire being, our spirit, our soul and our body is sanctified completely, is made uh, whole. Now. Let me just say something about the word sanctified, and you may never have heard this before, but when you look up the word sanctify, in the New Testament, the word sanctify, holy, even the the word saint, calling God's people saints, um, it comes from a Greek term, hagios or hagion, and that particular word has two parts to it. There is um, the root, which is gi, and then there's the antecedent, which is ha. And ha is an antecedent, it negates. So what it literally means is this. Remember the word gi means earth or dirt or soil. So it literally means to be sanctified means to be not of the earth, not of the dirt, not of the soil. Wow, <laughs> isn't that powerful? So may God the God of peace sanctify you wholly, so your entire spirit, soul, and body, you walk in the revelation of what it means to be a heavenly man. You walk in the revelation of what it means to be a child of God. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 3, he talks about the very fact. Paul says this, he says, why? Speaking to the church in Corinth, who's acting carnal and acting up, and he said, why, why are y'all, uh, acting like mere men, you know, and we say things today like, well, we're all sinners. We're only people. You know what? Listen, we're saints is what the Bible says. We, our citizenship is in heaven is what Paul said in Philippians. Guys, we are not of the earth. We are called to be different. We're called to walk in the realm of the spirit, to live that life that God has called us to. Now, may the God of peace himself, okay? He's faithful to do it, sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. When? At the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some people say, well, that means when Jesus returns. Yes, but there's a process. There is a work in which God is actually working in us now to become more and more like his son overcoming. And we'll look at this in a moment. Now, the Old Testament word for peace, of course, is shalom. Shalom is um, more descriptive than uh, of what the meaning of peace is and the equivalent um, word in the New Testament. Now, the New Testament word is powerful. You know, the New Testament word for peace is powerful, but the word shalom is even more packed full of meaning. Okay, now let's, let's look at um, Isaiah 26, verse 3 for a moment. You will keep him in perfect peace. How many want to be in perfect peace? You will keep him in perfect peace 
whose mind is what? Stayed on you, okay? Now, look at this. Perfect peace. In the original language, in the Hebrew, it's actually shalom, shalom. You will keep him in shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on you. In, in Hebrew, of course, when you meet someone and they say shalom, but when you leave, when you depart their company, you say shalom, shalom. And the idea is that blessing, that double blessing. Shalom is more than just the absence of conflict. Shalom actually speaks of completeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing lacking, and nothing being withheld. Synonyms in English are peace, harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, tranquility. Now, implicit in the Hebrew word shalom, also, listen to this, guys, is the idea of having unimpaired relationships with others and fulfillment or fruitfulness in your undertakings, okay? Powerful. So what is that saying? It's saying that when you're walking in the peace of God, then what actually happens, that shalom of God, and he commands his peace, he commands his blessing upon us, then what happens is we increase in wisdom, we increase in favor with God and with men. And when the favor of God is on your life, then what happens is you see the blessing of God on your life as well. Now, it's Please, don't just look at it from the aspect of um, financial blessing on your life. That's not what we're talking about here per se. It includes that. God is good. As I said earlier, salvation also has to do with God taking care of us. Um, but Jesus said if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all we need will be taken care of. But there's this blessing that comes upon us when we walk in the shalom of God, the shalom, shalom, and we move into a place where we experience perfect peace. Think about what God has did for Adam and Eve. God, uh, in the beginning, created Adam and Eve. They're at perfect peace with him and all he created. Their needs were supplied. They did not suffer hunger, disease, pain, heartbrokenness or of any kind. Beauty surrounded them so that they could experience and enjoy it. They weren't lonely. They had each other. And of course, more importantly, they had an intimate relationship with the Father. And ultimately, um, if any people ever experienced the shalom of God, the peace of God, it was Adam and Eve. And this condition existed really in its fullness in the garden but it was only as long as they were obedient to God's will. You know, it's interesting. I mentioned this earlier in Revelation 2, verse 7, when Jesus is speaking to the church in Ephesus, he promises them that if they overcome, they will, um, be, they will experience or they'll partake of the paradise of God, which is literally means that word paradise literally means garden they'll experience the garden so what he's saying is with you'll be restored to the pre-curse pre-sin uh place of of absolute shalom 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 perfect peace the blessing of the lord and so on it's a very very powerful thing but i want you to understand that the gospel is actually called the gospel of peace and the way it works of course is we have to have peace with god 
first and foremost. So we be, we're at Jesus made peace with the Father through his death on the cross so that when we turn to him, we can be at peace with God. And then as a result of that, ultimately, we experience the peace of God. So before you can know the peace of God, you have to be at peace with God. Now, sin, rebellion, um, demon spirits, tormenting spirits, um, even sickness can cause you to be in a place where things are not at rest, you're tormented, you're not in a place of wholeness and healing, and, and somebody can say, well, you know what, I don't believe that'll ever happen completely until Jesus returns. Well, I would agree with you. 1 Corinthians 15 says that when the Lord returns, the final enemy is death, and it will be defeated. But look at this, guys. What did Jesus do when he was on the earth? He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He restored people's minds. He restored marriages, families. He restored them and made them whole as, as a person. Think about the Gadarian demoniac. Think about, as I said earlier, Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons and how God restored her or Jesus restored her. Um, you know, he raised the dead. He, he did all these miracles. And, and it was all about advancing the kingdom of God. So the kingdom is being restored now. The gospel of the kingdom is seeing that his kingdom would come, right? And his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom would come and his will would be done as it was in heaven. And so we, we understand that very, very clearly. We understand that, that God is wanting to bring us to that place where we experience restoration. So soteria is a powerful term. And it doesn't just speak about the spiritual. It speaks about our entire being. That's what soteria is all about. The, the word soteria, as I said, is really the noun for salvation. But the verb form, save, is sozo. Many of us are very familiar with sozo. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, sozo is the word used there to speak about salvation from sin. The angel spoke to Mary and said, you're going to call his name, your, the son, your son's name, Jesus, Yeshua, which means God delivers, Yahweh delivers, because he will save his people from their sins. Not he will save them in their sins, but he will save them from their sins. So salvation, they will save from sin. Romans six fourteen. sin shall have no dominion over you. Romans six fourteen. sin shall have no dominion over you. For you're not under law, you're under grace. Then in Titus 2, 11 and 12, the grace of God that brings salvation, soteria, teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live upright, to live soberly, to live a righteous lifestyle now, in other words, to walk in holiness, to overcome. James 5, 16 uses the word sozo in reference to healing of the sick. It talks about if there's any among you who are sick, the elders are to gather, they anoint that person with oil. The prayer of faith will heal the sick, some translations say. Some translations say the prayer of faith will save the sick. It's the word sozo. Luke 8, 36. Luke 8, verse 36. There's a demonized man. Jesus cast the demons out, and the Bible says right there that he's sozoed. He's actually delivered. He's actually set free. He's, the word is sozo. James 1, 
Let's look at James chapter one. This one is, is different. Using the word sozo in reference to the soul, the soul of man. Basically, James is talking about being humble, being teachable. He uses the word meek, being a meek person. And he says, receive with meekness the engrafted or the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Now, James is speaking to believers. He's writing to believers, most likely um, Jewish Christians, Jewish followers of Messiah, Christian, uh, not necessarily the term, but and he's saying there basically that you need to receive with meekness the word of God because it will change you. It will change you. It will change your soul. The word soul in the New Testament is suke. We get our English word psyche or psychological from it. So true salvation touches our soul. So in other words, our affections, our desires, our will, um, our mind, the way we think, and so um, our mental equilibrium, and our emotions, our emotional stability. That's our soul, guys. God wants us to be whole, but spirit, soul, and body, sanctified spirit, soul, and body. John G. Lake, speaking of the gospel, called the gospel triune salvation he wrote a paper it's an amazing paper i think you can actually google it and find it where he talks about the gospel being triune salvation the gospel is for the whole man spirit soul and body bringing healing and deliverance to our spirit to our soul and to our body all right let's look at a prophecy in matthew 8 verses 16 and 17 it says when evening came many who were demon possessed Really, by the way, the word demon-possessed is not the word in the New Testament language. Um, the actual word means demonized. Um, demon-possessed isn't necessarily the best way to put it because it doesn't mean that they're just totally overtaken. Um, every person that you know we would say demon-possessed, that's not the case. There can be different levels of demonic um, of demonization in a person's life. You know, for example, the Bible talks about the Canaanite woman, the Syrophoenician woman, and how she had a daughter who was demonized. And it actually says in English that she was severely demonized. So it uses that adverb to describe um, really the extent of her demonization, severely demonized. Of course, we know about the Gadarian legion and so on. So there are various degrees of demonization um, that people go through. So just throwing that in. So what happens is Jesus, many were demon possessed were brought to him. He drove out the spirits, meaning the demons with a word and he healed all the sick. Now listen to this. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Now, when Matthew writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's pointing back to Isaiah 53, verse 4. And in that verse, it actually says, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. So look at this. There seems to be a discrepancy here between Matthew's wording and that of Isaiah. Matthew says, Jesus carried our diseases. Isaiah says it was our sorrows. Well, let me just say there's no contradiction here 
because the Hebrew word that is used in Isaiah 53 verse 4 means to feel pain and it can be translated or employed literally or figuratively. So he wants us to be free from pain, whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, the pain of sin, the sting of death, the Bible talks about that. And so it's a very, very powerful thing. The Holy Spirit is saying that Christ went to the cross to redeem us from all pain and the cause of pain, ultimately, spiritual pain, psychological pain, physical pain. Now, let, let's look at this. Matthew 6, verse number 13. Jesus tells his disciples, this is not the Lord's Prayer, it was the prayer that Jesus told us we are to pray as his disciples. And one of the things he says is pray, deliver us from the evil one. Some translations say deliver us from evil. That word evil or evil one represents the entire curse of sin upon men. Okay? It's the Greek word paneros. It's a word for evil. But that word is derived from another term, which is ponos. Ponos means pain, okay? And then that word, ponos, is derived from another word, penes, which means poor. So think about this. The word evil is derived from a word pain, and the word pain comes from a word that speaks of being poor, poverty. And, and so guys, this is powerful. Jesus came to set us free from the curse, from all evil. Okay, the, think about the world before Adam and Eve sinned. He came to set us free from pain. Man, he loves us. I hate seeing my kids um, in pain. You know, I mean, even when they were little and they fell and they would hurt themselves. I mean, as a father, right? And then the Bible says, how much more of you being evil you know, you know how to do, you give good gifts to your kids, right? Then how much more is the father, the perfect father who's compassionate? And then it's, and of course, the idea of, of poverty, of, of lacking. You know, Jesus said that when we live in the kingdom, we have everything that we need. In the kingdom of God, the Bible says that when we are born of the spirit, we enter the kingdom, okay? And we also become citizens or of the kingdom and let me add this um, word as well subjects of the kingdom every king has a domain and in his domain in his kingdom is where he exercises his dominion when we live in the kingdom and we come to a place where we are submitted to the dominion of the king then we experience all the benefits of his kingdom now watch this colossians 1 13 we before we knew the Lord, we were in the kingdom of darkness. Then we came into the domain or the kingdom of, of his dear son, the son. And what happens is we begin to that point to live in that place. Now, um, I did an interview yesterday morning. A friend of mine who um, has a podcast called Missions Pulse. He's a missionary. He lives in in Thailand and he's he works in the underground church and other nations um, we were talking about this very thing we were talking about the kingdom having a kingdom mindset now many people who live in a Western nation where you can vote someone in and then you can refuse to you know not vote them back in for another term or perhaps even um, vote people out they can be impeached or there can be a referendum of some sort 
Now, we don't understand a monarchy. We don't understand uh, the real concept of kingdom. My friend David lives in Thailand. Thailand is a kingdom. It's actually referred to as the kingdom of Thailand. And a literal king rules Thailand. Guess what, guys? No one can vote that king in. No one can remove that king. No human person. And in fact, in that kingdom, you cannot speak out or speak evil against that king. You're going to be in big trouble if you do. If you post something against the king on social media in Thailand, you are going to be in big trouble. Guys, we live in a kingdom. What does that mean? It means this. That we, even though we're citizens of God's kingdom, and there are rights that God gives us, don't get me wrong, but there are also responsibilities. And we must come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The reason why a lot of people are not experiencing the fullness of this salvation that I'm talking about here is because they have refused to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Remember what it says in the book of James, I believe it's chapter 4, verse 7. It says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So let me ask you guys a question. Do you believe that's true? Do you believe that's the word of God and, and that God meant it? So if we're not seeing the devil flee from us, then the only rational explanation must be that we're not fully submitted to God because there's a promise there. If you will submit yourself to God and then we have to resist the devil, we still have a role in resisting him, the Bible says that he will flee, but we have to be first and foremost submitted to God. So if we're not submitted to God, if we're not under the lordship and the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, then we do not have the promise that we will walk in the fullness of this salvation. The kingdom of God promises salvation, provision, peace, power, and protection for kingdom subjects. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, if we're submitted to the king, which means this, remember this, Jesus taught it this way. He said, if you are under authority, only then will you have authority. And so we have to be under authority. First and foremost, God's direct authority. He is the ultimate authority. He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. And then we even need to come to the place where we submit to his delegated authority his delegated authority. That's not our subject tonight, so we won't go there. All right, in conclusion, I'm just going to take about five minutes here and, and walk us through a process that will result in us experiencing, maybe, maybe 10 minutes, <laughs> result in us experiencing um, this work, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. How do we position ourselves? How do we you know, come to that place where we're submitted to God and we're also resisting the enemy and we're beginning to see the power of the evil one broken off our lives. We begin to see sickness and disease leave our lives. You know, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but several years ago, we were traveling internationally. We were seeing a lot of miracles. I mean, a lot of miracles were happening. And I had something happen to me 
and I ended up in the hospital. They told me I had a stroke. They told me that I was, you know, and that and then it happened like three or four more times after that. And guys, it was scary in the natural. The enemy was trying to shut me down, and I kept having these symptoms. And they were saying, and it was TIAs, and then full blown stroke, but. I wasn't by any means paralyzed, and I didn't feel anything. I was able to walk. I was able to do things. And I started just in the natural, um, you know, really exercising more. I started to do a lot of things. But ultimately, I had to deal with this. What is this thing? What is coming against me? Well, let me just tell you that um, I have never had that happen again. That's never happened to me again. And that was back in, I believe, 2013 or 2014. It's never happened once. I have no uh, symptoms of a stroke. Um, I don't know if I had a stroke or I didn't have a stroke. The doctors were divided. Some said I did and some said at the end I didn't because they couldn't see anything. It looked like the first scan they did, there was something neurologically. And the second one, there wasn't. Um, so... Ultimately, I'm just trying to tell you that there's a place where we can walk and, and begin to believe the Lord for healing and provision and protection. And when we're submitted to him, he's promised. Now, remember, in the word of God, for every problem you face, God has a promise. In fact, some say that there's over 8,000 promises in the Bible. You know, there's, there's uh, supposedly 366 times it says, fear not or don't be afraid. In the Bible, that's once uh, for every day, including a leap year. <laughs> so, so we have that promise, but for every promise, there's also a process. What do I mean by that? Here's the process, and here's the promise. Let's look at Matthew 6.33. Jesus said, If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. Now, the promise is this, that everything you have need of all these things will be added to you. That's a promise from God. God is faithful to his promise. Let God be true and every man a liar. God will not lie. He cannot lie. But there's also a process. The process is our responsibility. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If we are faithful to the process, God, of course, he's faithful to the promise. So we're going to see it come to pass. So when the process is engaged in and we do our part, and we fulfill the condition upon our lives, we are going to begin to see the promise come to pass. Now, I just want you to look with me here at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Some of you have heard me teach on this before, but I want, I want to bring it out again because it's so powerful. This is my life message. We're talking about discipleship here in reality. In Ephesians 4, 12, it talks about how uh, in the preceding verse, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Then it talks about to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Now, if you continue to read that, verses 13 through 16, it talks about how um, the church, each person in the church is to do their part. They're to contribute as every joint supplies, build up the body do works of ministry, but it also mentions the unity of the faith and about the, the fullness of the stature of Christ so that we become like Christ. So ultimately, our goal, what, what the Lord wants to do is to see us become like his son. Now, 
The word that is translated equip there is found only once in the New Testament. By the way, equip, I believe, is in the New King James. The word equip is found only once in, in the New Testament. It's the word katartizmos. And katartizmos, as I said, is, is only used this one single time. However, the corresponding verb, which is katartizo, is used many times in the New Testament. I'm going to give you four examples here. First of all, in Matthew 4, verse 21, it is translated about mending or mend. James and John are sitting on the seashore and they're mending a torn fishing net. They're repairing a fishing net. It's the word cardotizo. In Hebrews 11:3, the same word is used about God bringing the universe into order. In other words, God bringing cosmos out of chaos, that same word. Thirdly, in 1 Thessalonians 3.10, it's used in reference to bringing to completion something that is lacking in the life of another believer. All right. And then the final example that I'm going to use, and there are many examples here, is Luke 6, verse 40. In Luke 6, verse 40, this, this is speaking, Jesus is speaking, and he's talking about how the student uh, or the pupil, the disciple, has to be trained by a teacher or a master, a rabbi. And he's saying when that student in, his, in the natural, he's not any better than his teacher. But when he's been perfectly trained, is what one uh, translation says. It says he will be like his teacher. Now, in English, those two words, perfectly trained, well, those, those are powerful terms, perfectly trained, completely trained, okay? When, but the processed, in other words. But the word in the Greek is kardartizo, okay? So when he's kardartizoed, he will be like his teacher. It's a powerful term. Now, as I said, that word is translated in Matthew 4.21 of mending a torn fishing net. The interesting thing is that word speaks about healing, being repaired, mending. It speaks about preparation. It speaks about um, alignment, bringing things into order, um, connecting things that have been disconnected. Those are several different meanings that the word katartizo conveys. Now, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, I should say, there's interestingly two miracles that Jesus performs that have to do with fishing. The first example in the early stages of his ministry is found in Luke chapter 5. Remember, Jesus is preaching. He gets into Peter's boat, Simon Peter's boat, and he tells him to launch out into the deep. As he does, you know, Jesus, it, it, because Peter had been fishing and, and he caught nothing, right? You know the story. And what ends up happening, Jesus says, launch out of the deep, let down the nets. And as he does, an interesting thing happens. It says, even though he initially hesitates, he eventually complies. And it says in verse 6 of Luke 5, And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. Okay. Now, three years later, Okay, three years later, the second fishing miracle occurs in John 21. Now remember, 
Jesus, after the first miracle, they left the fish on the shore and they went and they followed him. And he said, you come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. So now Jesus has been crucified. Um, the disciples are doubting, where is he? And so they propose, Peter proposes um, going fishing. And, you know, remember, these were commercial fishermen, so there may have been economic reasons behind this. Like, how are we going to survive? Jesus isn't with us anymore. Whatever reason, um, they decided to go fishing. Well, the same thing happens again. They catch no fish. In spite of how skilled they are and, and how they know what to do to catch fish, it just doesn't happen. And so Jesus calls out to them from the shore, and asked them if they had caught any fish. Of course, they said no. So he tells them to let down the net on the right-hand side of the boat. The first time, launch out into the deep. This time, he says, let down the net on the right-hand side of the boat. They do so, and as they do, this incredible miracle takes place. They catch a, uh, a, a great catch of fish, it says they dragged the net to land. It was full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Now, 153, you know, St. Jerome says 153 represented the nations of the world. The point here is whether it did or it didn't, the bottom line is this was a lot of fish. <laughs> He caught a lot of fish. It says the net was full, but yet, even though there were so many large fish, the net was not broken. The first time the net did break, the second time the net was not broken. Now, as I said, the word cardotizo has to do with mending torn fishing nets. I believe that this is a picture of the discipleship process that Jesus took his disciples through for over three years. They started off broken. They started off needing mending, cartartizo. But as they walked with Jesus, as he healed them, as he delivered them, as he discipled them, as he taught them, as he, you know, reset their, their thinking and, and taught them many things, um, he, he began, he corrected them. So many different things that he did. He brought them through this process, ultimately to the point where they were now ready to carry on his ministry. He would leave them, and he said that he would convey to them the kingdom. They would take this message, they would preach to the nations, they would continue and perpetuate the ministry that he started. And as a result of this, they were now prepared. They were prepared. So think about this. In the beginning, they were not ready. They weren't prepared to to carry out the ministry that jesus would eventually entrust to them if they did go fishing for men it would be like fishing with nets that would break but here for three plus years he prepares them then as a result when he turns everything over to them they're ready to catch fish and the nets will not break it's a powerful message that before we can be moved into the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has for our life, he wants to mend us of our misery. He wants to repair us of our brokenness so he can prepare us for effectiveness. He wants to mend us to send us. He wants to use us, guys, 
but he also wants to work in us. In fact, there are many people that have gone out into ministry, but they've had brokenness in their lives. They've, they've had things, addictions, strongholds, you know, um, <clears throat> anger, whatever it may be. And even, even spirits, unclean spirits working in their lives. And they've not been able to get that freedom and eventually they self-sabotage and the enemy takes them out. Now, on the other hand, God doesn't just want you to be delivered and, and not do anything. He has an assignment and a purpose for your life. He wants you to walk like Jesus did on the earth. And we'll get into that in, in um, future sessions. Closing with this verse, Daniel 11.32, those who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. Now look at this, those who know. That's the Hebrew word yada. It means to know personally and experientially and intimately. And it says they shall be strong. Interestingly, that word chasak literally speaks of being established, being strengthened, but it can also mean to be repaired. And then it says they will do great exploits or they will carry out great exploits. The word there is the Hebrew word asa. And asa means to do work or to act with effect. To do work or to act with effect. So look at this. Daniel's saying there's a process here. It's knowing God. So knowing um, shall be strong. That's being. And then ultimately they will do great exploits. That's doing. So knowing being and doing specifically knowing god that's intimacy with the father secondly being secure in in him and and who he's created and made you and me to be in christ jesus we are his righteous the righteousness of god in christ jesus so we're secure in our identity so intimacy with the father uh, knowing our identity in christ and then lastly living out our destiny in the communion and the power of the Holy Spirit, living out our purpose, empowered by the Holy Spirit, comforted by the Holy Spirit. These are specific principles, and we've gone through a lot tonight, I know that, that God wants us to get a hold of. God wants us to be completely free. He wants to heal us. He wants to deliver us. He wants to sanctify us. And when I say heal us physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever way, psychologically, he wants to make us whole, but he also wants to use us for, uh, to, to help other people just as Jesus did, to help set other people free as well. That's his purpose, and that's what he wants to do in our lives. Guys, he wants to mend us, and he wants to send us. If you've been going through torment, if you have addiction, if you have strongholds, if you have, you know, just thought patterns, mindsets that are not godly, and you're not living in that place, as I mentioned in Luke 1, 74 and 75, serving him without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of your life. I want to tell you the gospel is a gospel of liberty. Freely you have received, freely give. He wants us. It says in in second corinthians where the spirit of the lord is there's liberty right and it was for freedom that christ has set us free he wants us to be free in every way he wants us to be free we need the power of the holy spirit guys too we have to be filled and baptized with the holy spirit 
But we also have to recognize there's things in our life that we're going to repent of if we're engaged in things we shouldn't be doing. Sometimes we need to forgive people. Sometimes we need to renounce things. There's things sometimes we need to to renounce and, and just, you know, uh, walk away from. <clears throat> Our next session in two weeks from now, um, James Park from Canada will be talking more about the process of, of walking free from, you know, some of the ways um, the the enemy gets a hold of our lives and some specific things we can do. We'll be looking at soul ties. We'll be looking at um, the need to be healed inside. Man, if you've just been, you know, experienced terrible trauma in your life, something's happened. It's important to forgive people, absolutely, but we need healing as well. And God has promised that in his word. But we have to be intentional to position ourselves. And I just want to encourage you, if you are a person that maybe has gone through a lot of trauma and um, you're looking for for help, tomorrow night, Thursday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, my wife, Lynn Blakeney, is interviewing um, a woman by the name of Mega, Megan Retta from Australia who wrote a book all about her journey and all that she came through in life. And um, it's gonna—it's a powerful testimony on her podcast, the debut episode tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Central Time. You can watch it on our Kingdom Community television platforms as well as on our Facebook and and social media accounts. I encourage you to tune in. The book that Megan wrote is very powerful, and she walks people through her life story and how she's came to freedom and deliverance. We know her personally. She was in um, the Bible college that I was a president of. She also attended our church when we pastored in Australia as well. So that's 8 o'clock tomorrow. If you know someone, a lady, this is for women, but men are welcome to watch. But it's it's geared more towards women. The, the name of the bot podcast is Girl Talk, okay? So, but anyway, guys, this is something we want to encourage you. We want to offer you hope. What I'd love to do is I'd love for you just to type in the chat, um, any specific way in which the Lord has challenged you personally. It could be about your own need for, you know, greater freedom, or it may be uh, for you to, you know, in terms of ministering that wholeness and that freedom to Thanks others. Thanks for joining us today at The Kingdom Community. We trust that you are encouraged as a result of spending time with us. We exist to connect, equip, and send you out into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God. To learn more about The Kingdom Community, please visit our website, kingdomcommunity.global. Again, our website is kingdomcommunity.global. Together, we are better.